Oh my God! Yes, we finally did it. <laughs> Bitches get stitches. That's all I'm saying. I tell you what, you know, all the stuff that we've been doing over the past week with training and stunts and everything else that goes along with it, getting on Zoom, I think, is harder than any of that. (laughs) (laughs) Three weeks of Arena Wars was nothing. Compared to Zoom. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. Figuring out the can you hear me, can you see me? But uh, you know, Alan, thank you for joining me today. For my listeners, Alan is an amazing stunt coordinator, fight choreographer, stunt stop, stop, please, author, fighter. (laughs) Come on, you know I'm gonna do it, brother. Just just say I have no life. That's what it means. That's what it all means. We know you have a fight coming up, which I can't wait to unpack in a little while. You're going for a six-time world title. Speaking about things, things in sixes, you're a six-degree black belt, master instructor. In a few different arts, yes. Uh, oddly, oddly, it's, it just seems to be where I plateaued. I, I apparently can't supersede that in any way, shape, or form. I'm stuck at six for everything. <laughs> that's what i'm saying i noticed that like everything with you is in a pattern of a six which i think is really great and interesting so let me ask you a question what got you started in your beautiful art form of martial arts well it was when i was six years old no, i'm kidding <laughs> okay. um no actually i started i started when i was four um my my dad was in the navy we were stationed uh in japan when i was a kid and uh my next door neighbor, Jason, he was going to karate class off base. And he said, hey, I'm going to karate class. You should come. And I was like, oh, yes. So I asked my mom and she's like, yeah, go ahead. So I went, I went with them and um, I wrote in my autobiography about that first day of, you know, I went, I went in and I saw everybody getting in their, to their pajamas and running onto the floor. And I, I followed behind my friend. Of course, I didn't have a uniform. And I got onto the floor and everybody turned around and yelled at me. Like everybody in the whole dojo was like, Ray, Ray. And I'm like, my name's not Ray. I'm Alan. <laughs> so, but, but it scared me enough to turn around and run the other direction. And I ran directly into uh, Ryuchi Sato, who was the instructor. And I, I hit him so hard, I bounced on my butt. And he picked me up and he just smiled and walked into the classroom. What they, what they were trying to say was that I didn't bow when I came into the floor. And they, they were to say, Ray, bow. And, of course, I didn't know what the hell that meant at the time. So you know, it just scared me more than anything. So that's, that's, that's my first day of karate class. <laughs> it's always about the first day and how you come back. You learn a lot in that first day, you know, uh, especially like when I was doing boxing, it's like when they see that you come back, it's always, especially after you spar or something, you actually get into a fight. It's, it's like, how does someone come back from that? Um, I noticed that you're um, a practitioner and master of Renshi. Can we talk to our listeners about what that's about? Well, so, so in Japan, everything is run through uh, the ministry of martial arts, which is a government sanctioned body that oversees all martial arts whatsoever. So you can only get titles inferred by the Botoku Kai, by that ministry. That's what it's called, the Botoku Kai. Um, so I, I was inferred um, in 1980, oh, I want to say 87, 87 or 88, 87, I think. 
86, you know, something like that. Um, somewhere in the 80s, I'm getting old. I can't remember everything. So um, that uh, I was given, I was uh, promoted to fourth Don, my, my Yondon. And that came along with uh, a ministry title of Rinchi, meaning polished instructor. And I, I wish Americans would get away from this theory that everything means master. It, it does not. Actually, to be honest with you, there is nothing in the Japanese language that says master. There's, there's levels of instructorship, right? So not, nothing that says master. And that's just a Western theory and ideology that persisted. And, and I wish people would learn the difference. So Renchi just means a polished instructor. It just meant that I knew my basics so well, you know, that I was a little more polished than other instructors were. Like, you know, teaching a block is something that we all do, but it's, it's knowing the other applications of that block, right? And having it in the correct position and the correct manner and the correct delivery and, you know, so it's just it's just that that's what Rinchi means. So I was given my Rinchi title uh, back then. Well, I, you know, it's a perfect segue into where I was going to go next about you know the Las Vegas Stunt Academy in which you're running, and I had the opportunity and honor to uh, attend yesterday, and we learn things like this. What got you started in the whole you know wanting to. Uh, be a stunt coordinator and a fight choreographer because doing that is completely different from the actual, um, you know, competition, which we'll talk about in a little while. Like I know you have a fight coming up, which I can't wait to unpack, but um, you know, the whole thing about what got you into like wanting to do that with, uh, with movies and television. Well, to, to be honest with you, when, when I first, so my first gig ever was a stunt when I was asked to do the greatest American hero TV show back in 1981, right? And it happened to be that I was going to that school, El Camino Rio High School in Woodland Hills um, temporarily. And I got to know one of the PAs. And then one day the PA kind of ran over to me and said, hey, the stunt guy didn't show up. And I know you do martial arts. Would you want to do this ninja thing? Uh, and of course I had to have my, my parents sign off, my grandparents signed off for me but um, ended up getting in a ninja costume and got a jerk vest on me and, and was ratcheted through a styrofoam wall uh, after William Cat kicked me. So, you know, how cool is that, right? You know, and, and I got to meet uh, Michael Pare, who I ended up, you know, 30 years later, I doubled for him in, in a film, in a TV series called uh, Seven Days. Um, and it was funny how we reconnected because he looked at me, he goes, you look familiar. And I'm like, we used to play football, brother. And he goes, what? I never played football. I said, yeah, in the, in the quad at the school. And he's like, oh man, yeah. You know, I just brought back a little bit. So it's kind of cool. And then William Catt and Robert Culp, right? Uh, what's her name? Uh, Celica, Pamela Celica, right? Who, who was the star of the show. So it's just it's just a great opportunity from there i kind of jumped forward um a few years i i did bit parts here and there right i did uh K, i'm in canine loosely mm -hmm. and my friend sam kuoha got me in in there and then um 
ultimately down the line, I, I, I decided, you know, I could, I could be an actor. I was, I'm a horrible actor, but whatever. <laughs> like, oh <my>. I, <laughs> sure I can, you know, and, and then parts after parts after parts, I do a bunch of movies, you know, and I, I already knew then that, you know, I, I did, I starred in three movies and one t- TV show. Um, and, and my, my goal back then, this is in the nineties, okay, mid, mid to late nineties, that I already kind of knew that if I stayed in this game as an actor, you know, unless you're a really good actor, if you're Eric Roberts or Michael Madsen or, you know, then yeah, you can play that game forever. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> as, as good looking as this may be, <laughs> acting talent is not one of my strong points, I don't believe. So um, so I already had a plan back then that what I would do is because I like action and that's my forte, that ultimately I would become a stuntman, stunt coordinator, you know, second unit director kind of thing for, for films. That was kind of my, that was my arc, you know? So, which kind of led me into doing stunt work and stunt coordinating, fight choreography for, for other people's films. And, and now here I am, I'm, uh, that's what I do. Yeah. The fight choreography in which you do in your films, and uh, we'll, we'll unpack those in a moment, but what I love from like my own personal experience, like seeing you work and working with you, is that I love how you approach each scenario differently. Like if something's supposed to be like a bar scene, a bar fight, you, you present it like guys that are just going to be guys, or women that'll be women, just a rugged fight. Um, if people are actually trained and disciplined, and it requires a martial arts type thing, Thing, like a John Wick type scenario, like you'll you'll un, you know unpack that for whoever you have to train. I think that's really important to make it believable. You know, some I, movies I and shows fail at that, but you do a really great job at that. Well, thank you, thank you, yeah, appreciate. It. Uh, every every movie has a should have a different feel. If you're doing the same thing over and over, that's only going to last so long. You know, look look at John Wick for example. Even John Wick changes up the strategy of the fight scenes movie to movie he isn't doing the same thing every film there's always some added interest point um the last one uh with holly berry you know they added holly berry and the dogs right and they added some special moments with with uh, so okay let, let, so john wick they have all these jujitsu aikido moves right mm-hmm. and in john wick Two, they they did all these car bumps. There was, if you didn't know, there was like five or six different car bumps that they did, right? Uh, and most of them are CGI, but nonetheless, that was their gimmick, right? Was the the car bumps? So they threw that in. Um, and then he became less a fighter into, and more of an active shooter, right? So there was more of that involved than there was in one, where one he kind of beat everybody with his hands and shot him in the head close range. Oh, yeah. And in two, he was shooting everybody long range, right, down the tunnels and in the streets, right? So there's that. And in three, they they turned it a little bit more. They're, they're including the MMA and the BJJ and the, the Aikido and Jiu-Jitsu, which is, they, which is his formal training, right? Um, but then they brought in Holly Berry at the dogs, and then what they do is they introduce some of my techniques in uh, John Wick 3, 
with the Hojo Jitsu, which, you know, I'm the, I'm the only person that's written uh, books and published DVDs, instructional DVDs on that art outside of Japan. So, uh, and, and I knew um, uh, Professor Sid, who did all the pinjaks a lot for that film. And he's one of the two guys at the end that are keep fighting him. That's that's Professor Sig. So uh, he's been to my seminar. So I, I know he has a book and a DVD. I gave it to him. So I know where he got it. I was <laughs> going to mention the books. I can't wait. I ordered the history of Japanese martial ah, arts that you authored. I can't thanks. wait to read that. And uh, you have a personal book called My Karate, which yeah, I also want to read. Yeah, that's my autobiography. Um, yeah. It's, you know, this year, this year is my 50th year of martial arts. Wow, man. Um, so it, it's been a while. Yes, I'm old. Thanks for reminding me. Appreciate that. Throwing that out there, everybody. Um, you don't <laughs> act it, brother. I actually, you throw me around. So I, you're not old. <laughs> you're not old. <laughs> but um, nonetheless, it's, you know, it's, it, it's a, you know, it's an interesting thing where that goes, where they, they, they put Hojo Jitsu in with uh, Mark Dacoskus, who, who's a friend of mine. Um, I've known his dad forever, uh, yeah, Al Dacoskus. So it's kind of cool. And then I can't wait to see what they're doing in four. I'm sure they'll change the game a little bit. But using that as a reference, you see, they, they add and change everything. Even, even John Wick isn't the same every time because people would get bored with that. And, and that's what you have to do with every movie that I choreograph. It just has to be. It has to be comparable with the story and it has to be in character with the theme of, of the leads, what their history, their background, their backstory, you know? So if I can get that and, and I'm, I'm well-versed in different disciplines, you know, whether it be jujitsu or Aikido or Wing Chun Kung Fu or stick fighting or whatever, acting like an idiot, whatever, you know, I'm, I, I can give them that perspective, you know, I, oh, I think I can. So, well, what I love too, is that I learned, first of all, so much hanging around you the past couple of weeks, the camera setup is so important to sell these. Oh, yeah. It is unbelievable how realistic these things look when, you know, you actually see it in front of you and then you see it through the camera. And it's like, when you see it on the playback, when you're in the studio, you're like, Oh my God, it looks like this person really hit this person. I don't oh, yeah. want to spoil anything for any, you know, particular projects that you're working on. But there were so many times where I'm like, did, did that person get hit? And even yesterday, like I was going back to some of the, the footage that I was doing and I looked, I'm like, did I, did I hit that person? I don't feel, but it, but it looks because the way they were holding the camera, it looks so legit. Yeah. Like what's Angle. the magic behind that? Angles, angles are definitely, uh, you know, the bonus plan in filmmaking. You don't yeah. get those in, in live fighting matches. <laughs> you know? um, it, when you're fighting for film, you, you always have to take in perspective what angle that camera's at, whether it's stacked or it's racked beside. And, and those are, you know, those are terms that, you know, if you do stunt choreography or fight choreography, you understand for films, and then you understand what those are. But for example, stacked is when things are stacked in front of the camera lens so they're you know they're it's this so getting that angle will sell a punch even though i might be a foot away from that person because we never we never want to hurt anyone no. and 
Yep. You've seen, you've been on set where we have to do, we have to do a fight scene probably 12 times in a master from three different angles. So no one can get hurt. No one can be getting hit or getting hurt because you've got 17 more takes you have to do to get this fight. <laughs> so, you know, hitting someone or hurting someone, you know, that's, that's, uh, what is it? A- a- anti, uh, <laughs> anti-actionable right <laughs> yeah absolutely you, we you guys are so professional too no one wants to get hurt no one wants to see anyone get hurt and everyone you know consummate professionals they work their asses off uh on the arena wars and i can't wait for people to see this thing this thing looks beautiful they got an amazing cast uh you know which i can't wait to roll out some interviews with uh cast members i became friends with one thing i like about fight scenes too is the sound of punches right like, I am a huge fan of the best of the best, in particular part two, because the sounds are just so, like, or Lethal Weapon 4, the sounds. Like, what goes into, like, who decides the sound process well, of that's, punches? That's, that's the Foley artist. Uh, that's what's called Foley, right? Um, it's not special effects. It's not sound effects. Um, it's Foley. And um, to be honest with you, what most movies do for a broken bone is broken celery to break a piece of celery or several pieces of celery. And that makes the sound that you mostly hear on movies when a bone is broken. That's so, so interesting. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it slaps, it's a wooden, it's a wooden paddle slapping a piece of leather normally gives you that smack of a, of a, of a punch. And, you know, it's, it's, it's silliest things that you would never think, you know, I know for I- star Wars, they were like doing something for like the stormtroopers laser blast like back in the 70s when they did the original new hope episode four they were like hitting like i think it was like uh, hammers on just metal and that's yes. how they got the sound yeah. that's correct that's correct yeah it's, it's the weirdest thing you know um absolutely that the, the breaking a piece of of twig from a tree kind of thing um that's also that's usually what they use for kicks it, it's it's just a it's a that's a whole art by itself is foley just knowing Hearing the audible sound and knowing, hey, you know what that sounds like? Let me use that. You know, I'm a drummer and there's rhythm to it. Oh, like, yeah. So, oh, yeah. It's like, <laughs> like there's fight, like, you know, the choreography is there, but then you associate the sound now and visually it just comes into play where it's so amazing. Like, um, I remember, uh, a, a great action sequence was in the Phantom Menace. Speaking of Star Wars, I, I was just with Darth Maul. You know, great, great scene with Ewan McGregor, Liam Nielsen. You know, that was you know that was Dan Ber- uh, Bernardo. Yep. Uh, right. Yeah, um, amazing. I used to compete against because I did the Japanese spear and he did the bow staff. Right. Um, but he had one of those balsa wood fuckers and cheated all the fucking time being able to spin that. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, man, that that fight scene is is ridiculous in the sound, and it's got a lot of rhythm. So that's what made me think about it. All right. So speaking of stunts, all right, yeah. you had been on the Mortal Kombat in 1995, Rumble yeah, in the Bronx, yeah, with, yeah James Blue, uh, Gerald Okamura, Kerry Tagawa, um, Robin Chu. We're trying to remember everybody on that project. Amazing. What's the hardest stunt you ever had to pull off? Hardest stunt, hardest stunt. Um, I'll be honest with you. I 
I well, okay. All right. I was gonna say, I was going to say stunts aren't really difficult. Because like I said in class, what's the difference between a daredevil and a stuntman, right? A daredevil will just do it. A stuntman takes every precaution possible to do that stunt multiple times, right? So there, there was one stunt. I, I, I would normally say that, but the hardest, I think the most challenging stunt that I've ever done was dangle over the edge of a four-story building as the cannon went overhead and did a barrel roll around me <laughs> and I'm hanging on to the ledge. Now there was a safety catch where I had a piece of rope um, tied to my arm that ran up and you couldn't see under my hand and it was tied to a pole on this on the roof and then there was people holding on to that even on top of that so but but that was probably <laughs> it was basically if I had slipped it's just that rope keeping me from you know falling four stories oh my god like i just picture that and i'm getting nauseous right now because i have a fear of heights as you saw when i was jumping <laughs> in our friend mercedes but you know like <laughs> we got to give her props man she did it she did it mercedes, so mercedes yeah, if you're listening times, i'm gonna share it to the 702 group much yeah. respect much respect because I, I know that feeling and and i get like weird and then i see the kids that were there just like jumping and they have no fear whatsoever. And I'm like, man, come on, you gotta, you gotta get it together, John. But um, okay, so that's the hardest stunt. What's the uh what's the worst injury you've ever had, or like the worst thing that happened? Worst case scenario as a stunt person, if you so don't want to be asking without, without jinxing myself, I've never had any major incident or accident on a set since 1981, whether I've been the stunt coordinator, or just stunt man, or just an actor. I've never been uh, involved whatsoever in any accident. And that kind of goes along with safety, 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 right? Yes, Which sir. Is what, I, what I preach to this day. Now, are there little minor things that happen? Yes, because they happen in life, right? Um, one of my stunt guys on the uh, action film I did last year, Boomer, which will come out hopefully end of this year or by next year. And that's Look for that. I want people to look for that movie, Boomer, because Thomas Fiasco, Billy Patterson, they Ryan Williams, who the the guy that did uh, uh, the same camera that shot uh, Blade Runner, right? Wow. Shot this film. So, um, you know, it's an amazing cast, but uh, the director, the producer, they 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 connected with me and said, "Hey, Alan, I have a drama." that we have a couple of action scenes in. We'd like you to come in and, and you know, coordinate that for us. And after a couple of meetings and stuff, I said, Ryan, look, I, I went through, the, I went through the, um, the script and I just kept highlighting these areas. You know what, you need here, you need here, you need this here, this could be turned into this, this could be turned into this. And I pulled out every gag in the book. We did precision driving, stop and goes, car bumps, stair falls, live burns, explosions, gunplay. Like we did. Jesus. But <laughs> when the movie was done, the producer went, we have an action movie with a couple of drama scenes in it. <laughs> um, which was great. Uh, you know, and, 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 and I agree. It's, you know, and it was great that he just gave me the leeway. He just said, Alan, do, do whatever you feel. Right. So there's just, 
fighting and and falls and high falls and explosions and every just everything in it um so we kind of i can't wait for that movie come out um there's some bts floating around on social media uh bts of boomer go go look that up you can friend me it's it's on my page as well there's all kinds of stuff on there <laughs> i can't wait and, and you you're also doing uh bridge of the doom right yeah yeah i was the stunt coordinator for that and yep. then um they they shot that movie a year and a half ago, The Mahal, mm-hmm. and uh, they hired me to come in. I had done a movie with them, Bloodthirst, already. They hired me as stunt coordinator for that. Um, but they hired me for this uh, movie, Bridges of Doom, they had shot a year ago, a year prior, I should say. And they said, look, we just need to amp this movie up. We need more zombies. We need more killings. We need more scenes to fill in this I guess, 18 minute gap of dialogue they had with no break, you know? And I mean, if you could think of watching a movie with two people talking for 18 minutes, right? That's, you know, so uh, myself and, and the director of photography, Michael Sue, they kind of let me kind of, they let me kind of go. So I just created several scenes and, you know, they liked it so much. They came to me uh, the day after I finished and they said, the footage and the scenes that we shot for the pickup scenes, those two days were better than the film they did a year ago. Wow. You know, and I was like, wow, okay, thanks. I appreciate that. You know, and they said, no, you're our stunt guy. And now I'm with the Mahals for life. It's ride or die. Oh, with them. great guys, man. Just <laughs> fantastic. They uh, welcomed me into their world with open arms and just so, so nice, man. Like, so said, shout yeah. out to those guys. Yep. And, and, and uh, agreed. And, and uh, now that, you know, now that I'm in their good graces, they hire me for every film. The next film's in Puerto Rico. That's another action film. So uh, can't can't wait. I'm I'm always stoked because they always have interesting projects to work on. I can't wait for you too and to see what you do in uh, Puerto Rico, man. That's going to be a great time. So going back real quick, we were talking about you know action movies that don't really have much dialogue. Uh, look at Rocky Four. The whole movie is like a training montage. Greatest, in my opinion, the greatest soundtrack in in music history. Because any guy or any girl, anyone that works out, okay, has put on that soundtrack at least a thousand times in their life. It's the cola kills it. Eye of the tiger survivor. Oh my god. I heard I heard the story. Now I have a friend that's friends of Stallone. Yeah, and uh, I was told that Stallone actually did not want that as the soundtrack. He had his brother Frank is a musician. Yes, and and Sylvester himself does music, mm-hmm. right? So they had this self-composed idea of what they wanted in the background, but the producers went with this, you know, "Eye of the Tiger" deal, and and it fit better. Everybody, you know, it's a bigger hit, right? But Hindsight's forty forty, you know. <laughs> it's a smash. Like everyone knows that song, you know. People get lit up, and it's just like a trademark too. When when you hear that song, you think about a, a lot of things. But what comes to mind is like you know Rocky training for Clubber Lang, and then yeah. also Rocky Four. You know, it's like it puts Rocky, you in a mindset. Lundgren and yeah, absolutely. Dolph Lundgren and Rocky Four, yeah. And, and that's the bet because that's what how the the Rocky Four starts off. You get the boxing gloves come in. You know, Russia against America. You get fired up. You're like. 
And then Apollo Creed dies, which was probably the worst thing that's happened in my childhood, which a lot of people <laughs> be like, well, at least you had a good childhood of Apollo Creed dying was the worst thing for your childhood. And now, and now you have Creed 1, 2, and 3 coming, right? I mean, yeah, three, 3 is a definite, I, I believe it's a definite thing. Talking about music, um, music and film is so important uh, for fight scenes in particular, but sometimes the music not being there, like the Rise of Skywalker, I love when Rey fought Kylo in their battle um, at the Fallen Death Star on Endor. Yes, I am a nerd, listeners, you already know that. <laughs> <laughs> when, when they had the, the, the lightsaber battle there it's just quiet lethal weapon four quiet i like that fight i wish it were somehow more practical instead of the cgi that they enlisted that's just oh, okay. my i'm i'm very much into practical fight scenes and and they did so much wire work and green screen almost all of it's green screen yeah right but there's there's ways they could have done i think more practical work in there but Everything's now into CGI, and and you know I, I I wish they would have gone more practical with it. I think it would have been better. So if you take that fight scene and compare it to the fight scenes of the original Star Wars, one, two, three, and look at the vast difference. Huge, right? Even even go back to four when Darth Maul, you you had Obi Wan and Gwai Jin, right? Mm -hmm. they fought Darth Maul together all that was practical with very little CGI the CGI was the background right but all the fight scene was complete practical no wires used Mike, Mike, that, Bernardo, yeah. Mike Bernardo who would just jump around and do flips and shit with his bow right <clears throat> you know and they had to learn they took months out of the schedule and learned that fight scene with all the actors right mm -hmm. just my but look at that versus that fight that you like so much on the last one right and there's there's this huge massive difference in effect and visually it's stunning but then when you're breaking down the fight you you suddenly realize there's very little fight in the ren one right yeah Kylo Ren, there's very little. Yeah, fight. you're right. You're you're correct. Now I'm, I'm visualizing it. And the thing is, too, with uh the Phantom Menace, that has always been my favorite Star Wars battle. It's been one of my favorite fight scenes. But see, that's where the music is so intense. Like that song is so good, like Duel of Fates. It's like, oh, you hear it, like you feel like all this emotion. But then there's times like in Lethal Weapon 4 where there's no music and you just hear the punches, like we were talking about before, and the kicks. So I, I guess, like, it's all situational to this, the fight scene, how they decide music, right? Because, well, first of all, you have to think of them separately because one's futuristic lightsabers sword fight in space, right? And two is the other one is kind of real world, uh, some martial arts, but just brawling fight scenes in the Lethal Weapon series, right? So in the Star Wars, it's, you know, it, it's a complete, uh, it's a complete franchise series, right? And they're telling a story over years and years and years and years. So the music for that is definitely, you know, they want you to remember all the fight scenes in the other movies when you're watching this one. They want, and they, they tag that in by keeping that music synced from the other movies and they sync it into these films, right? And that, that gives you this intensity already of, oh, I've seen the last three and four. So, yes, this goes right along with what we were already doing, right? And you get emotionally attached. Now, exactly. 
exactly. Because like when you hear, for example, like, you know, anything with uh, Anakin Skywalker or, you know, um, certain like little themes, they'll actually change it and make it more sensitive if it's a sensitive scene. You know, yeah. like when Vader dies, you hear like the dan, 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 but it's like nice and subtle. Yeah, they, they're tying into the whole storyline, right? Where Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon uh, was not supposed to be a franchise. It was kind of a one-off film, right? And then they, in, they ended up doing the franchise, right? Star Wars was written as a franchise from the beginning. Yes. Right? Lethal Weapon wasn't. It was always a one-off deal. So then they started adding movies to it because, hey, uh, it's popular and we can make money off this, so let's run, right? Um, but with that one, because of the martial art aspect of it, the fight scenes mm -hmm. were very martial arts-like, right? Um, they wanted those sounds to be more present and visceral. The bones cracking, the, the punch slapping, the kick kicking squishes you know they want that to be prevalent and that's what sells those fight scenes right so there's two different approaches that we're going for uh when you talk about uh star wars versus like lethal weapon and they're going for two different approaches one is they're trying to tie you into every movie made and make that you know and they want you to feel the the emotions from the second film and the third film in the fourth film mm -hmm. right where lethal weapon they're they're more in we want you involved in the action taking place now. We don't care about what happened in the past. This is something new, right? So that's, you know, it's where Jet Li got involved. And <laughs> Oh, wow. And I love that you showed me that kick that he does, like that block kick, because that was one of my favorite things that in that one uh, fight sequence where he's on the rooftop and Lethal Weapon 4, like early in the film, where he just shuts down and neutralizes someone, uses his legs as like defense, but like they're accurate. And I, I love that you showed that to me and it made perfect sense. Uh, one more thing about Lethal Weapon, Eric Clapton's music was great. Like Riggs has a theme, Murtoff has a theme. Everyone has a theme. When Joe Pesci comes in, he's got a theme. And it's it, establishing character. So that's that right. Follow that character at pretty much every scene, right? And that so. is correct. Yep. And, and that's what's awesome. And what's awesome is this conversation. And plus, like, what I want to say to you is that you mentioned something at the beginning. I like to bookend things. Um, you said that you could never master anything. I agree with that. Um, as a drummer, practitioner of, of drumming all my life, I would, you know, as many compliments as I may get or criticisms, you're always learning no matter what. And you could never be a true master. But Alan... You know, I, I started the show giving you mad respect. If there ever was someone to be a master, I mean, come on, bro. Look, look, look. You're going to cut me off right now? Nah, it ain't me. It ain't me. <laughs> well, I will tell you that I, you are my master, sir. Like, <laughs> you are definitely. There, there's, a, there's a man that I trained under um, here in the States. When I, when I returned from Japan, um, I trained with a guy by the name of Wanaki. Uh, master Wanaki in Texas. Uh, he's still there, still alive, still teaching. Um, when I was a student of his, we used to do demonstrations, and he used to bring in leaf springs, you know, the steel bending bars under trucks. He would bring in, and when I say he, I mean me and another student would bring the leaf spring in, set it up on a cinder block, and he would break it with his bare hands, like two bare hands at once. Like, see, now that's a master. I can't do that shit. So, <laughs> 
to me, I am way so far away from that. And to me, that's a master. By the way, he's the guy that did the fight choreography for the 300. Oh, the- shit. Frank Miller <laughs> is a student of his art. And he's got a black belt in the art under him. Oh, so, man. created the 500. Uh, and he's the one who directed the film. And he's the one who hired uh, 1AG. Right? So... It's it's interesting the people that I get to train with happen to be, you know, some of the best that there is, right? I, I've trained with Wanaki, of course. Also, Masoyama, the founder of Kyokushin. I got to train with him for two years, directly hands-on. This is a guy that used to kill bulls with his bare hands, right? Um, my original instructor, Rochi Sato, he's, Sato was a direct student of Gichin Funakoshi in Shotokan, the founder of modern-day karate, Funakoshi. So Jesus, man. my teacher was him and Walter Todd, who was also a student of Funakoshi. But he was also a direct student of Morihei Oishiba, the founder of Aikido. But he was also a direct student of the founder of Wadoru, um, uh, uh, Hinori Osaka, right? Back in the 50s and got all his ranks through them, you know? And <laughs> so like, I, I just happened to be in that space. And I got connected with these people, right? You know, I, I was given the opportunity to go to Hong Kong and train with Ip Chun, right? Stay with him and train with him. And I was the first person to bring him to the U.S. with uh, Steve Lee Swift back in 1994. And that's Ip Man's eldest son. He's the head of the Wing Chun uh, Association, right? The Wing Chun Association in Hong Kong. So, you know, who better to learn from, <laughs> You know, so, my mind is blown right now. <laughs> Absolutely. To be able to train with these, I meet these guys and we have a connection uh, through Budo or whatever art we're doing. And, and they see that I had a passion with it. And uh, John Denora, who was one of the uh, largest proponents of Aikijitsu, and I got to train with him for years and got my rank under him. So it's just people that I got to be connected with. You know, it's beautiful, dude. So, um, on a you know, on a different note, uh, what kind of music are you into? Like, what do you like to do when you're not doing stunts and karate, which you do all the time? But like, like when you're in your free time, what do you do? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I, I I listen to rap and hip hop. I I listen to '70s old uh, vintage rock. You know, I was last night. I came home. I was listening to Chicago and Ambrosia. Get that right? You know. Uh, but, you know, I wake up today and I was putting on, you know, uh, Desiree. <laughs> yeah. so, you got to be tough. You got to be strong. Yeah, you know, it's absolutely eclectic sounds. I love blues and jazz. I, I'm a huge blues and jazz fan. So, you know, it's I, I love music in all sorts and all kinds. It, it all it all has its moments. Right. Well, of course. And that's like, just like your martial arts style and your style of life, like, you know, all encompassing, open-minded, you know, and, and that's how music should be. I, I love everything as well. Can you tell our listeners how we could follow, first of all, your awesome career and then also the uh, Stunt Academy and how they could sign up and train with you? Oh, sure. So we're located in Vegas and then two and a half years ago, I, I was on a set and I was listening to people who was telling me that they were stuntmen or whatever, and that they couldn't do a single thing right. Like, they didn't know how to sell a punch. They didn't know how to throw a punch. They, they couldn't fall. They couldn't do anything. And I said, wow, if there were only a place to go train this place. And I said, well, I could make one. 
So, so I did. And I made the Las Vegas, I founded the Las Vegas Stunt Academy. Uh, and uh, we're now, you know, two and a half years in and, and we had like the largest classes last week, actually the last two weeks, we had over 20 something people in our class. And the more people, to me, the more people makes it better. It's just much more fun and you get connected and you get in sync with, you know, a group that are doing it one way versus another way. I'm, I'm roaming from group to group and correcting or, you know, praising whatever they're doing. So, and I'm teaching everything. So and we do everything. Yeah, you, as you know, we do everything. High falls, jerk vests, live burns, precision driving, horseback riding, fight choreography, fight falls, um, jerk, every, everything, I, 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 everything that you could think of a stunt man doing. That's, that's what we, that's what we learn and teach. I learned so much, especially when you did a whole seminar uh, speech about, you know, what a fight scene requires, depending on the scenario. I was just so enticed because, you know, I'm, I'm big into obviously fight films and trying to pen one myself. And it's just like to hear what you said, I learned so much. And then also, I think there's like five of you in there when we're working on stunts because it's like i'll see you in the corner and then i know where you come up and you'll be like you'll tell me what i'm doing right what i'm doing wrong i'm like how did wait you, you were just over there a second ago like what how did you come here at everyone at every time like people think i'm not right and i you know my biggest my biggest uh my biggest thing is when i'll do a stunt for example like uh, a couple weeks ago we did uh, the tramp where we do like uh, back flips and you know aerials and stuff and i got on there and i you know i was the first one on there here this is what i want you to do and i do a, a you know a back fall or a back uh, a, a somersault on the miniature on the the large trampoline and i have two or three of my students that look at me like you did that <laughs> I, you know or a high fall or jerk vest or fight car or whatever you know and they just look at me like you're too old i'm like yes i am but i still can do it so <laughs> of course and you, you got a fight coming up and i'm glad you brought that up like you're not too old you can kick ass still can we uh learn about this fight that you have coming up if you don't mind sharing that yeah no uh so it's the internationals um and i i have competed for the last five years in a row and i won every single year we do self-defense uh weapons um, fights, uh, 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 forms, kata, and you have to win in every division of your division that you're competing in. Then you have to compete against every other division winner. And if you do that, then you're grand champion and you win the world title. And I've won that five years in a row, I'm proud to say. Um, but I've won, I've competed at the internationals back in the 80s and 90s with, under Ed Parker. Ed Parker Sr. was a great friend of mine. I'm still good friends with his son at Parker Jr. Um, I've competed most of my life. Well, I've won the California State, the Empire State. I've won New York. I won, <laughs> uh, you know, but I've been out of it for a while because I went back to Japan for 13 years. And I come back and, you know, I said, okay, I can still do this. And it's fun. You know, I enjoy doing what I do. So, uh, you know, I do that. Uh, people can get hold of me. Of course, Sheehan Allen Woodman on Facebook. Uh, it's LV Stunts on Instagram, and it's uh, the Las Vegas Stunt Academy.com for the website. And uh, you can actually go to our stunt page, which is LV Stunts or Las Vegas Stunt Academy on, on Facebook. So 
uh, I'm around. <laughs> and another thing is too, like, you know, what you were saying, I just want to end it with this is that, you know, if you feel good, if you're happy doing what you're doing, I don't care what your age is. If you're in good health, you know, for people listening, like, you know, if you love what you're doing, like, don't let anyone tell you, you can't do it. Be responsible, be safe, but don't ever let anyone tell you, you can't and just keep going. And guys like Alan, inspirational man like you know it, it's a it's a testament to what we're really capable of as human beings I, I i've written and published what 42 books and 12 dvds they're all on amazon type in alan woodman martial arts you can catch some of my books um, and dvds i write for other people as well i ghost write for other people i'm currently writing the life story of erwin raymer general raymer from uh, the uh the show tank mm-hmm um, so I meet with him pretty much every week and we go over his stuff. I'm doing his story. Um, but I'm always writing. I used to publish Sidekick Magazine back in the day. So that's where my writing thing came in. And, and uh, I, I just enjoy storytelling. <laughs> I enjoy yes. that a lot. And, and, so. and that's something I got bitten by the bug uh, on recently. And uh, I, I can't wait to try to get things going with that. And I can't wait to train with you again, man. I'm hooked. I'm, I'm in. So... <laughs> Welcome every Sunday, brother. Come on. I'm coming in. You know I'm going to be there. I'm bringing my daughter, too. My stepdaughter. Yeah. I can. Oh, yeah. She wants in. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Alan. I'll talk to you soon, my brother. See that guy? Yeah. Who's that? What we got back there? Younger me. That was when I was young and foolish. Look at that. That That's a good-looking dude over there. John, that's when I was young and foolish. Now I'm just foolish. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome brother i'll talk to you soon my man oh wait let me see him let me see him roll him oh. out that's just a few Holy i got shit i got two or three boxes outside i've got some plaques over there the for those listening on air we're looking at a bunch of trophies that are just insane to look at so cool um uh, it's just it's just fun. It's cool. It, it's it's always nice to be noticed. It's not what I do it for though. So. Um, no, but that that's a hell of an accomplishment, bro. It's something that you'll always have. It's eternalized, and it's a reminder. Like you you sit there and look at those things, and you appreciate what you've done, and it motivates you to do more. Eventually, when you get old, people give you stuff just for still being alive. So that's basically what those. I think most of those are. <laughs> They're like, dude, you should have rewards. Here you go. Here's your reward. Yes, absolutely. It's all about it. Brother, thank you so much, man. This was wonderful. It'll be up on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, YouTube, Google, Amazon, everywhere. Uh, Fine audio is heard very briefly. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. You be good. Thanks, John.